0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart.
1: Hey, get your popcorn ready.
0: NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app.
2: Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to be joined by Peter King from the MMQB, Mike Wobshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network, Working Jared Bell from USA Today.
1: And Brian, we're gonna kick off the podcast today with former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese.
2: Ike, we appreciate you taking the time. We were just talking about Nick Foles who played well on Sunday. How much confidence do you have in him as we get ready for the NFC title game?
3: Oh uh, a uh, whole lot. First of all, thanks for having me on, fellas. Cordell, thanks for having me on, brother. Yes, sir. Um I, I got a lot of confidence in Nick Foles. And uh, I think it's just going to boil down to uh, what's asked of him come Sunday. Uh, you know, here's the thing: I got I have confidence in him, but I still have a lot of respect for that Vikings defense and what they're capable of doing. So, you know, if I'm if I'm the Eagles' uh, offensive brain trust, uh, I'm gonna try to use a game plan that's very similar to what they did last week against the Atlanta Falcons, where. You know, you kind of start this thing off like you're in a heavyweight boxing match, and for the first few rounds of the boxing match, you're you're sort of trying to feel your way through, see what works, see what doesn't work, but don't put yourself in harm's way. And then when you get to the second half of the fight, the the championship rounds of the fight, that's when you become a little more aggressive. And I thought that's what the Eagles did last week with Nick, is that he was they they dialed up a lot more aggressive passing game plan for him in the second half than. They did in the first half, and I think that was by design. I and
1: mean, I think Ike, you you alluded to a boxing analogy, and a, and I'll go further with it. Is it was like what New England did to Atlanta. In that Super Bowl, right? What did they do? They jabbed him with a lot of James White in the back, out of the flats or, or on the wheel routes, and you right. saw that's what they end up doing with Nick Foles to keep everything conservative, so he doesn't have to force it between the tackles. And I thought that was a tremendous job to be able to put him in position to help the team be ahead of down and distance. Do you see them maybe try to mimic that same game plan because to go 23 of 20, go 23 of 30 for 266 yards, 160 yards? That's a great day for him in a game of that magnitude to get this team into the NFC championship game.
3: Yeah, I really do, Carter. I I I mean, I would use the same formula. I mean, listen, there's there's no sense in trying to prove um, how smart uh, you are as a coach or how daring you are as a coach. I mean, once you get to this point, um, you know, sometimes, especially when you're playing at home, let that other team beat beat themselves. You know, don't help them out. You know, the only way I believe Minnesota uh, can get out in front run in this game is if we come out and don't take care of the football like we did last week against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, you get you get down two turnovers uh, in the turnover department against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm not sure you're going to be able to come back and win that football game. So if if you can put Nick in a situation where you know he can be comfortable, they doing the new RPOs, where it's run pass option, and Nick can sort of have one read on half the field and then decide where he wants to go with the football. I'm perfectly fine with that. They have to figure out a way to get a running attack started early in this game and you mentioned Cordell standing ahead in the sticks that is so crucial for Nick you got to keep him out of second and ten third and 12 third and 15 type of situations he needs to be in second and six you know third and four situations like that where he has the ability to throw the ball or run the ball and keep this Vikings defense sort of guessing as to what he's going to do it if you get to a situation where you're one-dimensional and they know you're going to throw the ball man it could be a long day trying to throw against this Viking secondary.
2: Johnny with Ike Reese, former Eagles linebacker, Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philly. Ike, from a national point of view, does Doug Peterson deserve more credit for his abilities as head coach, especially in helping the development of Carson Wentz?
3: Yeah, no doubt about it in my mind, fellas. Uh, I, I think sometimes when you have A player that's as great as Carson Wentz was this year, he can sometimes overshadow what the coaches are doing to help him have the type of year that he's having. And since Doug is a relatively young coach, only in his second year, didn't come in with a huge pedigree, uh, really for a lot of people, uh, it was somewhat of a questionable hiring, so he was still trying to earn his chops, and I, I think he's done that particularly this year, but it started last year, but again, when Carson is having the type of year that he's having instead of giving you know Doug, Doug some credit for the type of jump Carson made this year it almost goes to the quarterback coach and that's why John Filippo is getting interviews for head coaching jobs because he's receiving uh, credit for Carson Wentz's uh, development as, as a quarterback when in reality it's been Doug Peterson John Filippo, and Frank Reich uh, that's allowed Carson to have the type of jump that he had I've with Carson's talent. That's the huge uh, factor in the equation but I I do believe Doug Peterson uh, is the coach of the year and if you didn't know it uh, prior to Carson being injured, how could you deny it now when if the other guys in the running, Sean McVay, you're going to have a great argument for him, but he loses at home in his first playoff game with his full complement of players. The other coach that would be in the running would be Mike Zimmer. Uh, He's in the NFC Championship game against uh, um Doug Peterson and his team. But I think because Doug didn't have the background in coaching that Mike Zimmer had, uh, and there are more questions around him, and now he's lost his starting quarterback, and he still finds himself in the NFC Championship game. I know they do the voting before the regular season, I mean before the postseason gets here, but he certainly gets my vote. I, I think he's done a, a tremendous job of just keeping this team together uh, after losing the MVP of the league, in my opinion, in Carson Wentz.
1: IQ alluded to a second a second ago, basically saying in so many words that Doug Peterson was being undermined, let's just say, by Jim Schwartz or or people saying that Jim Schwartz was walking around thinking he may should get the job as opposed to Doug Peterson. But he's played, I think he's played his cards his cards extremely well. Have this team in a nfc championship game but give me the pulse of the city man you know how and from an anxiety (laughs) standpoint and how impatient the city of philadelphia can be man give me your take on how they've handled themselves with seeing the transition of quarterbacks but now having nick Foles playing as well as he did are they pretty excited or, or are they still having some doubts
3: no, no, I tell you what, if you if we were to talk last week, fellas <laughs> you 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 would think we were getting ready to play the eighty nine forty niners uh <laughs> last week when we played the Atlanta Falcons. There that was I, I would say was probably at best as far as feeling positive about the game versus being concerned or having no hope at all. But after last week's game, uh, I I would say the majority of the fan base, I would even go as far as saying 90 to 95% of the fan base is all on board and believing. And I've, I've tried to tell them, listen, I understand the last two regular season games uh, didn't look very good to the eye, especially offensively, but if, if you if you take the positives out of those games, which is the way the defense played and the way the special teams played, uh, there are plenty of things to feel good about this team with. I think Nick's play last week calmed some nerves uh, of a lot of people, but overall, just winning the game, um, I think that sort of calmed the nerves of everyone, and This week, we're in the NFC Championship game. I tell you, a month or so ago, uh, after Carson was injured, not very many people believed we would be in this position. I would tell you, most people thought the season ended when Carson got injured. Uh, so to answer your question, Cordell, uh, I would say about 95-plus is, is all on, all on board with, with this week's uh, uh, game because, quite frankly, you got nothing to lose. I mean, it's, it's the NFC Championship game. Nobody's picking you. Uh, no one expected you to be here. Most of us didn't expect him to be here after the injury. You may as well enjoy this week. These things don't come around very often. Cordell, you know that. They, they yeah, don't come right. around very often, and so – Um, we'll just let the chips fall where they may Sunday. But I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about this game Sunday. I really do. I feel good. It's at home. Uh, Our defense is being underplayed and undersold. Vikings defense is being talked up. That's great. They had the miracle play last week against the Saints. I'm glad that happened. So everybody's focusing on that. We're just flying under the radar here in Philadelphia. And come Sunday, we're going to let the dogs out Sunday. And I feel good about the game. I really do.
2: I just don't want to see those masks ike freaked me out last week you i had bad that. dreams
3: <laughs> well mine uh um, mine and my co-hosts and my producers ours got delivered last night so we warmed through a portion of the show today <laughs> we got our mask we got our underdog mask it's you know how this is it's a city thing so we gotta ride with it we gotta right. ride with it who let the dogs out ike we know you just <laughs> wrapped up your show
2: so we really appreciate you joining us today on the nfl on TuneIn.
0: Oh, no doubt, man. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Peter King from the MMQB. Now,
0: it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Peter, we're talking about Tom Brady's hand injury. Given that he's 40 years of age and couldn't make it through a practice unscathed, what's the outlook Sunday against a ferocious Jacksonville defense?
4: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, when I heard that it was a hand, we know he's been battling this Achilles injury the whole year or for a good chunk of the year. Uh, But, you know, it's one thing to be limited in the pocket. It's another thing on a day that's going to probably be really cold to have your right hand injured. Now, what that means and how serious it is, we'll never hear it. You know, uh, the Patriots are, are certainly not going to let anybody know, uh, let on what, how bad it is. But no question in my mind that this has to be very concerning for the Patriots. I will not be at all surprised to see Deion Lewis get a much bigger part of the game plan this week than, than they had planned. What
1: happens if Brian Hoyer has to come in? Do they continue to play uh, decent football enough to, to help them win?
4: You know, my opinion, Cordell, is that everyone in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough will immediately get down on their knees and they'll look up to the heavens and they'll say, mm-hmm. "Please, can we have one Brian Hoyer miracle, please? <laughs> Just one." Um, you know, I think what, they're, what they would do without any question is they would basically, uh, you know, they they would basically make their game plan a short and intermediate passing game plan, almost the way the Philadelphia Eagles did last week with, uh, with Nick Foles. You know, they didn't want the ball into, in Nick Foles' hands to throw the ball deep downfield. And in my opinion, uh, that's exactly what Josh McDaniels would do with Hoyer if he had to play. Now, look, in my opinion, Brady would throw left-handed before they'd put Brian Hoyer in the game, but we'll see.
2: Peter King is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, irrational to think that Mike Tomlin is in any sort of jeopardy, but as we consider all the talent the Steelers have on their team, most players going to the Pro Bowl again this year, do you think it's fair to come up with the notion they've underachieved by not making it to the Super Bowl in seven seasons?
4: Um, what a great question that is. Uh, have they underachieved? They probably have. Is it a fireable offense? I don't think so at all. Um, I asked this question, and I, I mean, hey, I'd love to hear what Cordell thinks. And I don't just mean about the Steelers. You know, I mean about players in general. You know how I view whether a coach should be fired? I mean, first of all, you don't fire a coach who's won 48 games in four years. You just don't do that unless your locker room is in flames. And their locker room is not in flames. You probably have some guys in that locker room who don't like uh, certain things about Mike Tomlin, just like there are guys in every locker room who don't like certain things about their head coach. There's certain things that I'm sure guys on the Patriots don't like about Belichick, but I would just ask this question to Cordell and I don't mean to turn the tables, but in my opinion, You fire a coach when the guys on the team don't respect him and aren't playing hard for him. That's not what I see right now. But Cordell, what do you think about that as a player who's been on the side of you've been winning locker rooms and you've been in losing locker rooms? What do you think about a coach's ability and, and, and keeping a coach? I mean, what tells you when you should get rid of a coach?
1: Well, this is what I will say. Um, When the message is lost on a team, uh, we've seen that on uh, quite a few teams in the National Football League. Prime example, the Cleveland Browns. Another example, the Cincinnati Bengals. uh, Another example, the Oakland Raiders. When you find a team that has the potential to be good and they underachieve immensely, I think what ends up happening is, again, you see the same behaviors over and over again as far as the outcome is concerned. And then now you start asking yourself the question, what are we doing here? So now guys start looking for checks. They want to have time off, uh, I would say, from the game and, and so on and so forth. But to add on to that, you end up also getting to the point where you start having those loose lips conversations where guys yeah. are talking too much. And that's one thing I see happening in Pittsburgh. And, and directly speaking about that one particular case is you have, you're have you starting to have your your starting quarterback who, who's complaining about practice last year. You know, maybe we're having too many physical practices. This is why guys are getting hurt. Uh, to last, uh, the game against New England where I wanted to spike the ball, but from the sideline I end up getting a different call. So when you start hearing those types of messages, it makes you wonder, Peter, and also, Brian, is the message getting lost to the point where there may be a reason why those rumors are floating around and just so happen to surface out of nowhere to where you're questioning a guy who you've mentioned who's won over 44 games or so to where you wonder is this is what we're going to let go for someone else that we don't know can basically come in and get you to win a division let alone get back to the postseason so I would say I echo those sentiments but most importantly it's about the message that's being lost, and I wonder if that's taking place in Pittsburgh because of all these players that that are passing their p- opinions the Martavis Bryans, to the Le'Veon Bell's, to the Ben uh, Not so much a B because we have those temper, you know, those tempered moments where guys may lash at a coach like a. Uh, uh, Tom Brady does there, uh, Josh McDaniels on the sideline in Buffalo, too. The the actual Gatorade jug being thrown on the ground. So hopefully I answered your question and also add a few more cherries on top because I think it's becoming to be one of those cases in Pittsburgh where we've never seen this before, where you, you, you think coaches are getting fired because of players, but yet you also have players Having the loose lips, because we know what happens when you have loose lips. They say they start sinking ships, and here it is. It seemed like the, the boat is starting to rock a little bit well, too much what, in Pittsburgh, which we haven't seen things, in a long time.
4: Cordell, I'll just, I'll just add this, this last thing, and then we can move on. One of the things that bothered me now in retrospect is seeing before the Steelers played the Patriots the first time, you've got Mike Tomlin talking to Tony Dungy about the rematch with the Patriots. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: I mean – And and again, I thought it was cute and funny and the guys in the locker room would laugh about it and everything. But Mm -hmm. then you've got the players who sort of take the lead from their coach and they start saying the same kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just said to myself, when all that stuff started happening, there's way too much meaningless chatter going on. You know, focus on today, not tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. But but again, I, I just... I don't think that you've seen anywhere near enough for Mike Tomlin's job to be in jeopardy. I agree.
2: Peter, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us again. Enjoy the games on Sunday. We'll chat with you next week. Sounds great, guys. Thank you.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this.
5: Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast.
4: Every episode, I take you to the
0: scariest haunted places on
4: earth. Hollywood
5: and Crime by Wonder. We also
0: tested the purse for fingerprints, nothing viable there either.
5: And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else.
6: Where we ransack America's past and discover the That history is only kind to those who write it.
5: Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today.
0: This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Mike Wobshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, thanks for taking the time to join us again. Take us through the miracle in Minnesota as you saw it. Where were you in the stadium as history was made?
7: Yeah, guys, that was, um, you know, 13 seasons seasons with the Vikings. You see a lot of things, I can tell you that. Um, But that's going to top the list, I think. I was lucky enough to be in our radio booth between our play-by-play man, Paul Allen, and our analyst, Pete Berthich. And uh, that's where I sit for our games. I do stats and I spot for them. So it was a pretty good seat uh, to the play and to the call. And um, we, we lost our minds in the radio booth. That's an advantage of being in the radio booth and not the press box. Is you, you know, you can cheer and show your emotions. And Mike, can we hear you certainly... on that
2: call? Or are you yelling in the midst of the cacophony? You, you can hear me for sure. You just
7: don't know it's me because there's about four other people yelling <laughs> in the microphone. So wow. uh, it, was, it was nuts. It was something I've never seen or experienced. It was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully it's going to propel us to a good performance on Sunday.
1: Yeah, sometimes that energy and momentum actually pushes you forward to know that you can play for 60 minutes and and have a chance to play in a game of this magnitude and win. But when you watch how they played in that game against the New Orleans Saints in the first half, obviously going up 17 nothing, it seemed like they had everything in control. What can you say yeah. moving forward, going on the road outside in, in inclement weather, that they need to do in order to have a chance uh, to win this game, knowing Nick Foles is nothing like a Carson Wentz?
7: Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, you know and, and Nick Foles is nothing like Drew Brees either, and that took a monumental effort from Drew Brees, you know, to get the Saints back, but he did it. He, he's got the heart of a champion. But, you know, and, and I don't want to take any credit away from the Saints because, honestly, I don't think enough credit has been given to them for the way they were able to come back. But, you know, the Vikings had a blocked punt and a really silly interception in the second half, and that, you know, that, that helped New Orleans get back into the game. So I think ball security is very important in every football game you ever play. Um, No one's breaking any news with that. But I think going on the road with, you know, uh, an environment that's going to be raucous um, and playing a team that's the one seed but is the underdog, I think it's going to be an incredibly loud and, and noisy environment. The Vikings are going to have to handle the elements, not just the weather, but also the crowd, and they're going to have to take care of the football. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game where every yard, first down, possession, every coaching decision matters, and points are at a premium. So I really think ball security is going to be an important factor in the game on Sunday.
2: Chatting with Mike Wabashall, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings Team Channel on TuneIn. Mike, as you might anticipate, we've been carving up the NFC title game through every possible perspective, going category by category. I keep going mm-hmm. back to the matchup of the Vikings offense against the rugged top five Philadelphia defense. How do you see that playing out on Sunday?
7: Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, the Eagles, they they got two – well, first of all, it starts, with I think, with Fletcher Cox. And, you know, he's just watching some – some of that Falcons game back, I mean, he just ruins plays. It's like if you put one blocker on him, you have no chance. If you put two blockers on him, you have a chance, but now someone else uh, in their front seven is going to have a one-on-one opportunity or is going to be unblocked. So he really presents a lot of headaches. But then they also use the wide nine technique, and that can make it really hard to challenge them on the perimeter. So, you know, they make it hard to get outside on them, which funnels you inside to their best player, Fletcher Cox. It's really a good scheme and really kind of not surprising that they've been such a good defense all season, especially on the run or against the run. So, yeah. so to me, it's going to be really important for the Vikings to identify what they want to attack on this Eagles defense and stick with it and work on that and grind away and trust the defense to keep them in the game and trust the process on offense to eventually work over time. I think you really get into trouble if you try a smorgasbord um, strategy against this defense and you try and challenge everything. I, I don't think you'll get anywhere. I think you got to identify what that is that you want to expose and you got to work on it and work on it and work on it what that is I don't know exactly but I know it's a very fast defense so I'm wondering if they will try to use some of that team speed against the Eagles with counters and traps and screens and draws and, and that sort of thing and if that's the case it could be a nice opportunity for Jarek McKinnon.
1: When you look at when you look at these, these defenses because I think this is going to be the reason why one of these teams will win uh, which defense you think from a comparing standpoint, or up going up against standpoint, is a better match? Is it the Philadelphia Eagles? Philadelphia Eagles going up against uh, the offense from Minnesota, or is it Minnesota's defense going up against?
4: Um,
7: yeah, the Eagles offense. The Eagles offense. Yeah, you know what I. I- I really don't want to disrespect Nick Foles at all because I, I know he's gotten the job done at this level. I mean, heck, Pat Shermer's told me stories about Foles, and t- you know he's told me about how the season Foles had twenty-seven touchdowns and two picks. So I mean, Nick has has proven that he can do it. But I just I really like the Vikings matchups at cornerback and receiver. You know, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Wayne's, Terrence Newman against the Eagles receivers. I like that matchup. And so if the Vikings can do a good job against the run, you know, and force Foles to have to go outside and down the field to his receivers, I think that's a nice matchup for the Vikings. And now that's easier said than done because they have LeGarrette Blunt and they have J.H.I.E. And then just when you've got the power game figured out, they're going to throw in a dash of Corey Clement here and there. And that can be really tough. So, you know, I don't think it's – a matchup that's easy, but I, I think it's a good matchup for the Vikings. If they can force foals into like 30 or 35 passing attempts, I think the Vikings will be in really good shape.
2: Mike Wobshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings team channel on TuneIn is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Mike, it's not our job to confirm or deny reports. Pat Shermer could be going to New York to become the next head coach of the Giants. From the Minnesota point of view, what has he meant to this organization since Norv Turner walked away and Sherman became the offensive coordinator?
7: Yeah, he's meant a lot. I think he's done a really nice job with this play calling, and I think he's done a really nice job of not digging his fence posts in too deep. And what I mean by that is he's been flexible. You know, he's he started the season off with Bradford and then lost Bradford and had to go with Keenum, and then he started the season off with Dalvin Cook, who we were hoping would be a rookie of the year type of guy. Then he lost him, and he found a way to use Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray in concert and... Um that's been really good and Kyle Rudolph's been kinda of nicked up a little bit. He was always a little bit of our bread and butter, so he just got Adam Steele into be a thousand yard receiver. So I, I really appreciate um you know Pat Shermer's uh, resourcefulness and his ability to make something work. Based on his personnel and not make his personnel fit into what he wants to do. And, you know, Coach Shermer talks about what he's learned from Andy Reid and the West Coast offense and and some elements he can use, um, you know, from that coaching tree. But then he's also talked about what he's learned from Chip Kelly and the use of tempo after explosive plays and the use of substitutions to keep guys fresh. So, you know, I really think Coach Shermer's done a good job of not being concerned about what is his brand and what is his style and just being more concerned about how do we win, and that's what we're going to do, is we're going to do whatever it takes.
1: Yeah, and I mean to echo that, it's... It says a lot based on what he's done with Case Keenum because of where he's come from. Uh, Actually starting off not being drafted to being with the Houston Texans to going to St. Louis and then L.A. with the same team in the Rams. And everyone thinking he should be done, but yet he comes there and fills in for injured Sam Bradford. And he has an MVP caliber year. Obviously, you got these other players that are playing great, but he played just that good. Give me your true assessment on Case Keenum and what you think uh, he's capable of doing and how, he, how his future could look considering what he's done this year?
7: Yeah, you know, he's, um, you know, I, I just, I look back, Cordell, to, you know, I think back to what he was like at mini camps and training camp, and, you know, I just remember a guy that had a lot of enthusiasm, and, you know, he's always running with the twos and sometimes the threes because we had Taylor Heineke in camp, and Taylor and Case were kind of competing to be the backup. You know, so sometimes Case Keenum was with the third team offense. Um, you know, early on in the process, and the way he conducted himself, it was like you know he, he it was like he was the starter. You know, he's very enthusiastic, always clapping, trying to get the guys going. You know, we'd be in the eleventh period of a practice in the middle of of May, and he's you know you think he's practicing for a playoff game, and and you always looked at that, and you almost were dismissive about it. Um, you know, because you weren't focused on him because he had Sam Bradford. But now I'm watching him go through the season and help us get to 13 and three and win a playoff game, and I, I just now I look back and I just really appreciate that about him. You know, like I really respect that. That that's how he conducted himself. And um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but um, John Gruden did his his QB camp, uh, and you know for for many years in a row, and he had Case Keenum one year, and you know he told Case, someone's going to give you a shot. Somewhere down the line, I don't know when it's going to be, someone's going to give you a shot, so just be ready. And I think that's what Case Keenum has done. He's kept himself ready at all times, and it paid off for him this year.
2: And we're going to play that audio once more in the final hour of this program. Mike, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the NFC Championship game and hope to hear you screaming in the background when Paul (laughs) Allen turns up the pipes. The Vikes are coming home. I'm sure he's got a clever one in the works. Thank you, Mike.
7: Hey, you bet. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be with you, as always. Have a good rest of the show.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more
5: after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites, and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John. S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn Today.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's head around the league with Jared Bell of USA Today. Jared, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's start in New England. We know that Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time, but he's human and he's 40. Should the Patriots be concerned that he's dealing with this hand injury?
6: Yeah, I guess you never know how bad something is until you really know. And I don't know any of the details. You probably have heard more from some of the reports or whatnot, but I guess he didn't practice today. So that raises your eyebrow. Um, Although I thought I saw some pictures where he was out there with a glove. So I don't know if that means he was out there and he was limited or whatever. But it's still a concern because something happened, right? And – you know, it's the it's the game to get to the Super Bowl, so not a good time for uh, any kind of injury. And and I guess if if Brady goes out there on Sunday and he's floating passes without the usual zip and accuracy, then you'll say, boy, he should not have traded Jimmy Garoppolo so soon. Um, it could cost him a Super Bowl. So I mean, the stakes are that high, really. And you're talking about a Jacksonville defense that um, I I would give a puncher's chance anyway to beat New England just because of the way the Jags are built. You know, you think about it, with a great defense and a great defensive front, and, and they've got great defense at all levels, really. But, I mean, that that uh, front line with Calais Campbell and, and, and Yannick um, Ngakwe and, 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 and those guys, uh, Malik Jackson, I mean, that is a big-time defensive line. And, you know, Tom Coughlin's in the house, the Giants beat the Patriots and two Super Bowls with a great defensive line, Pressman from Brady, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this just kind of adds another layer of intrigue to it in my mind.
1: Uh, there's Brady a lot of uh, things you can draw from, uh, let's just say, to to try to build up a phenomenal story for this football game. Yeah. you got a Jaguars team that has Blake Bortles as their quarterback, and then you look at the other side, you have you have Tom Brady and everyone automatically assume that they're going to win because of that, And but yet he does have the injured right hand, and we really don't know how bad it is. But when you look at this Jacksonville team overall, in particular, let's just say specifically Blake Bortles, can he actually go out and play – a game similar to how he played against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And maybe, let's just say, I won't say outshine Tom Brady, but play well enough for this team to win, not by accident, but really just win it by maybe 10 to 14 points.
6: Yeah, here's here's what has to happen, Cordell, and you know it as well as anybody. Um, If he can control the football and not turn it over, then they have a chance to be in the game, right? And then a couple things about this Jaguars team that if you haven't really paid Close attention to them this season, I mean it is Jacksonville right they don't get as much attention in prime time and all of that but But two things really stick out that you would like about them, regardless if you knew what their team name was or not. One, they lead the league in defensive touchdowns. They scored seven touchdowns with their defense, and it was kind of funny because before the playoffs started. Um, You know, I do this every year where I you know, just give myself a flow chart, you know, and I get all the playoff teams, I put them on the legal pad. It's like, okay, what they rank in offense, what they rank in scoring, what they rank in sacks, and all this kind of stuff, right? And when I got to Jacksonville in scoring, they were fifth in the NFL in scoring. And I had to go back and say, no, wait, 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 how did that? No, they're not fifth in the NFL in scoring. And I went back and I double-checked. It's like, yeah, they were fifth, but it was because they got seven defensive touchdowns. So that's an enormous advantage to have to winning, right? So if they can get a couple against Brady and the Patriots, then that would be kind of part of their formula. The other thing that they do well, and they scored the most points in the NFL this year off of turnovers, so their their offense has been able to, to cash in on a lot of the turnovers because they led the league in turnovers. So they've been able to produce points. But the other thing that they've done on offense, and this is a credit to Blake Bortles and that unit, is that, they have the NFL's best red zone touchdown percentage. And, you know, that's huge. Because I got through watching the Atlanta Falcons three weeks in a row. Not one week, not two. I had the Falcons for three weeks in a row. And I don't know the last time I've had a team three weeks in a row, that you know, except for maybe the playoffs or whatever. But I had them three weeks in a row, and they had so much trouble every time they got down to the red zone. And if you look at how the Falcons' season ended at Philly, sure enough, They couldn't score once getting into the red zone. Well, this Jacksonville team has been able to score once they get inside the 20, so they've been very efficient. Blake Bortles has zero picks this year in the red zone. And then like any team that is really efficient in the red zone, if you have a running game, you can do it. And the Jags have the number one running game in the NFL, Leonard Fournette, but also with Blake Bortles giving you some choice runs when he has to, you know, and so that's why I think they're a dangerous team to play. Can they go in and, and win this game? I mean, obviously they've got to play a great game and can't beat themselves. But this team is a is a good football team, okay? <laughs> but they do have Blake Bortles at quarterback, who's not going to light it up at Tom Brady, but he doesn't have to throw for three hundred and fifty yards if he doesn't have any turnovers. If they can play balanced football. And the thing he did at Pittsburgh the other day that was so good, he started hitting on those third down passes. So he threw some, you know, a couple balls in the dirt and a couple that sailed away that looked real ugly. But on third down, most of the time, he looked really good the other day.
2: Jared Bell, USA Today is our guest on the NFL on tune. And Jared, none of us are capologists. So, in general terms, if Case Keenum and the Vikings win on Sunday, making history, first team never play in the Super Bowl at their home stadium, how do you think the Vikings approach Keenum in the offseason financially?
6: Yeah, they got to try to keep him. I mean, they really do. And so, the interesting thing with Minnesota is the fact that they'll have all three of their veteran quarterbacks able to hit the market as free agents and so we're also obviously talking about sam bradford and teddy bridgewater so i think they've got to try to keep two out of those three right if, if i can keep uh and, and i don't know the pecking order that they will have but if you look at what happened the other day they had bradford as number two and bridgewater is number three so assuming that maybe and i don't know if that had to do with health or not but two out of the three, but one of those three, it better be Case Keenum, okay? I mean, he and he deserves it. He really does. Um, you know, you could say that a starter should get his job back based on, injury. you know, after he gets injured, and sometimes I could see that being the case. I mean, if it was Tom Brady, okay, but other times it, it doesn't apply, and I go way back in history to Joe Montana and Steve Young. Um, you know, that was it. The end of the road for Joe in San Francisco was his elbow um, going out on him, and and he lost his job. In this case, in Minnesota, I don't know if you know Sam Bradford has that. This is Joe Montana, you know, cachet, right? So they've got to try to keep Case Keenum.
2: Garrett, as always, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the games on Sunday. Thanks for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in. Your everything audio app.